Tonight, if you turn to the book of Joshua, we're going to take chapter 7 tonight. And some lessons from AI. Now, as much as we know about this particular scenario, which comes from the Bible specifically, a little bit from archaeology, a little bit from history, a little bit from some historians that wrote at the time, uh, I can tell you a couple of things that are that are very important to this story. One is Jericho was a much larger city than AI. And it was also a much more fortified city than AI. And in fact, AI was not much more than a little tiny village. And it really was not a fortified city, and Jericho was a fortified city. So at first glance, and this is important to the story, it would seem like you could just kind of go do whatever you wanted to do with AI. That's kind of how we live our lives spiritually. There's a second thing that's important. AI's well, its spring, was well outside of the settlement. So, in effect, a wise commander could have just simply cut them off from their water and not even had to attack the city. So there's a few things that we need to know about the city of AI, and those are the two key ones. And this chapter begins with a word that you don't want to see at the beginning of chapters, because it's almost always a bad thing. When they begin with the word but, it's kind of the ow. It's like, what's next? And so as we begin tonight's passage, Joshua and the children of Israel, and again, remember who they are. They're the victors from Jericho. They are God's chosen people. They've come all the way from the wilderness of sin and they're wandering across the Judean desert, past the Dead Sea, along the River Jordan. They're encamped at Gilgal. They are, no doubt, after their victory celebration, on a pretty high plane. Likely very confident in their own abilities. And so this is where the story meets us in our walks with the Lord. Very often, after some major victory in your life, you're set up for a serious defeat. If you do what the children of Israel did in this passage. And so there is a warning here for us. And there's also an encouragement. And so as we pray and ask the Lord to speak to us tonight, keep your eyes on this situation in your life. Father God, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for the blessing, Lord, of being your children. Lord, we thank you that in some ways, like the children of Israel, uh, we are blessed to be called your beloved. Lord, we thank you for that and that your eye is always on your children. You, You never leave us. You never forsake us. But Lord, you do allow us the, the beautiful gift of choice. You let us make decisions on our own. And you will even let us make poor decisions. Father, that inside of this story is one of the great tragedies of the Christian life. And we pray we'd learn from it. We pray that none of us would be tempted to do those things which might take down the whole body of Christ. Lord, this church, our families, Lord, other people, as we suffer the consequences of our sin. Lord, help us to remember that you reward those who are obedient and that you ultimately judge those who are disobedient. hasn't changed. Fortunately, grace abounds. But circumstances can come into our lives that we don't want. And so, Lord, help us to live our lives in a way that's pleasing to you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Moses, when he described the land of Canaan, interestingly enough, described it as a land of hills and valleys. 
And if you go to modern Israel and you wander through the Judean region, if you wander up towards Galilee, past Mount Gerizim, Mount Gilboa, Mount Tabor, uh, there are a lot of hills and in between them valleys. It's very, very true. And it's rather picturesque and rather uh, a way for us to kind of uh, get a view of the Christian walk. Our Canaan, our, our promised land, our walk in this world, the things that we're going to do here on this earth for the king, for kingdom, are filled with hills and valleys. We have high points and we have low points. Anybody had low points? I've had low points. Anybody had high points? I've had high points. I think we've all had high points and low points. And so the walk that we walk is one of high points and low points. The Lord doesn't want us to walk in the valley of the shadow of death. He wants us to be on the mountaintop with him. But sometimes we allow things into our lives that put us down in the valley. And so here we find the children of Israel in this small kind of ominous word, but, beginning chapter 7. Uh, Joshua, no doubt, we've already seen it, very gifted leader. He's led the people in victory. He's been successful. He's listened to the Lord. He's led them in following the Lord. But, there are no perfect people. I'm certainly not perfect. Nobody in this room is. No pastor I've ever met fits the category of perfect and none that we will ever know. No human being will ever be perfect. And so as we look at this passage, we can look at it from the perspective of our own lives. The mountaintop victory at Jericho, uh, right into the valley defeat at Ai. And so here comes verse 1 here in Joshua 7. But the children of Israel committed a trespass regarding the accursed things. They have just come from this crazy, amazing victory. And two days later, they're enmeshed in sin. Sometimes we can use victories, and here's the beginning of this lesson, as almost justification to do things that we know God doesn't want us to do. And here's why. We look at the victory, and we say, God must be for me. He's blessed me. Look at all these things that I have going on. Surely I can engage in just a little bit of sin. I mean, it's kind of almost like we think that sin is some kind of reward for being righteous. Now, I know none of you would do that. I have almost yet to meet a Christian and talk with them deeply who hasn't at some point in time in their life done this very thing. Mountaintop victory right into a valley defeat. And it is usually because of spiritual pride. It's usually become becoming lifted up, self-absorbed, self-reliant, self-righteous at times. But the children of Israel committed a trespass. That word trespass can be translated sin. Regarding the accursed things. Now remember that the children of Israel didn't have much to do in the wilderness. And so they were instructed like no other people on earth. We have a lot of things to distract us, amen, in our world. There are lots of things you could be doing. Thank you for being here tonight. There are a lot of things you could be doing rather than being here tonight. You could be sitting in front of the television. You could be bowling. You could be up at the lake. You could be doing all kinds of stuff. You could be out for a walk with your dogs. There are a lot of things you could be doing right now. They did not have a lot of things to be doing. And so their community life revolved around the Word of God. When they got together, 
they read the word of the Lord. Somebody broke out the Torah scroll and away they went. And so they were well instructed in the wilderness about what God wanted from them and what God would not accept. And so when this word comes to us now, they knew very well what God was getting at when he says the accursed things. The things that you can't touch, the things you can't do. And therein lies the rub with us as Christians. We have to be extremely careful because disobedience has a huge, huge, huge cost. Sometimes we think because we've walked in victory that there's no more cost to sin. I was texting back and forth today with Pastor Chet from Calvary Chapel, Fort Lauderdale. The penalty of the sin of one man is tearing a church of 26,000 people apart. The sin of one man. The transgression of one man. This story is still true. And we could name others. I'm using one that's one of us because I love my brother, Pastor Bob, and he's still my brother. But his sin has been horrifically costly. Now I can also tell you that church has been on the mountaintop of blessing. And it will be again as they turn to the Lord. It's been up there in the heavenlies. Had 57,000 people show up for Easter service this year. Why am I sharing this with you? Don't kid yourself. Don't fool yourself. Don't you ever believe that just because you were on the mountaintop last week that you can't be in the valley next week. Don't you ever believe that lie. And the whole thing hinges on your obedience to the Lord. My obedience to the Lord. Our collective obedience to the Lord. Because your Bible says that where one of us suffers, we all suffer. Where one of us is doing well, we're all doing well. We're in it together. We're called the body of Christ for a reason. And so here, just as in the case of Abraham in Genesis 12, David in 2 Samuel chapter 24, Jonah, his whole story, disobedience, rebellion, sinning against God, no matter how godly you may have been last week, yesterday, maybe even this morning, disobedience has a cost. And it can be really high. Much higher than you will ever want to pay. I cannot tell you how many broken men specifically I have talked to that have engaged in some behavior and they will say something to the effect, I never thought this would happen. You see, Satan doesn't tell you that. Satan just says, hey, that's a whole bunch of money. Why are you going to leave it inside of Jericho? Yeah, that's somebody else's wife or somebody else's husband. But after all, I mean, you're a long ways from nobody will see. It's just the Internet. You know, I mean, it's only a little bit of cocaine. You, you, you owe yourself this little, you know, hiatus from all that righteousness you've been doing. I mean, after all, you don't want to be overly holy, do you? I know I do this too good, but... It's the way the enemy works, doesn't he? It's exactly how he works. Sure, just go buy all those shoes. 
Couldn't just leave it with the guys. You deserve them. I can pretty much guarantee you that somewhere along those lines were the thoughts of Achan. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, the son of the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed things so as to anger the Lord, which burned against the children of Israel. Now, I want you to know this seems unfair at first unless you understand who the Jewish people are. They were considered cumulatively exactly one family. Do you understand what I'm saying? All 12 tribes were considered of the tribe of Jacob. They came from his loins. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the 12 tribes simply represented God's covenant promise to Abraham. They were they might as well have been Lot. So as far as God's concerned, anyone among them made the family guilty. We call this the word accountability. It's why we do need to be accountable one to another. Because it's the body of Christ What you dip your fingers in, you dip this church in. I've gotten phone calls from local law enforcement. Hey, I got one of your members down here. One of your members just threw his wife off the balcony of their home. Now, praise God, they're reconciled. But don't think God didn't get a black eye. It affected the body of Christ. The sinner was Achan, but the trouble he caused was for the tribe of Judah. And I think it's important that we see that. Your sin affects the rest of the body of Christ. Now, it may not be quite so direct as this particular incident, but sin, leaven, leavens the whole lump, doesn't it? Now, it may only leaven it a little bit. But that's like saying, well, it's only a little bit of rat poison. It's only a tiny bit of stuff that can kill you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I want to give you some good news ahead of time. This is the one and only defeat that the children of Israel will suffer in the land of Canaan. So they're going to get the lesson, okay? And I believe that's exactly why God took this one so seriously. God very often allows extremely serious things into our lives when we are on the verge of a lifestyle change for the worse. Very frequently, God will allow some major catastrophe in our lives to keep us from going into a much more major catastrophe later. And it appears that the children of Israel learned that lesson. And so as you look at this, just as 1 Corinthians 12 said, any weakness that's in you is a weakness in me. A weakness in me is a weakness in you. A weakness in us is a weakness in the greater body of Christ, and so on and so forth it goes. It was so then, it is so now. And I think the church needs to look just as Hebrews 12 says. We need to make sure that no root of bitterness has sprung up in us because sometimes we get kind of ornery, kind of of self-absorbed, kind of self-righteous at times. And we need to be careful because we can start blaming other people for our own uh, sinful actions. Well, I'm that way because somebody else does those things. Anybody here ever been emboldened by somebody else to sin? My hand is up. I have. I've had other people who claim to be Christians doing stuff and saying, well, you can be a Christian and do that, and encourage me to do those sinful things. It was when I was younger, but I can tell you emphatically, when I was a teenager, that thing happened in the church. 
Well, it's no big deal. I mean, you know, sure, we, you know, Christians have the liberty to drink. They forgot the part that I wasn't yet 21. Whoops. You, you see, it is important what we do as the body of Christ. When one part suffers, every part suffers with it. The result, notice what happens. The army's defeated. From a mountaintop victory to a valley defeat because of one guy that affected the whole body. Verse 2, And now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is beside Beth-Avon, on the east side of Bethel, and spoke to them, saying, Go up and spy out in the country. And so the men went up and spied out Ai. It's important that you realize what's happening here. As you look at this, it kind of seems, well, that's what I would do. You know, if you're a military commander, you want some intelligence, amen? Before you put boots on the ground, you want eyes in the sky. That's the way we say it today. Before you put boots on the ground, you want eyes in the sky. You want to make sure, you want to know what's going on. You're going to send in, you know, some black ops guys. They're going to go behind the lines. They're going to check out what's really there. So Joshua's actually doing the right thing. But he's not going to encourage them to do the one thing that they should be doing. Because they're doing the right thing according to the flesh. But they missed the one thing that they should have done according to the Spirit. Notice they're not praying. Noticing they're not offering up a service before the Lord. Noticing they're not bringing in the priests. Remember what happened at Jericho? Who went first? The priests. The praise of the Lord. The Ark of the Covenant. The promises of God. The Word of God. What goes first this time? The flesh. You want to do your part, but you want to have God go first. And they returned to Joshua and said to him, and here's what the flesh can do, underestimate the enemy. Do not let all the people go up, but only let two, three hundred men go up and attack Ai. Don't weary all the people, for the people of Ai are few. That's the arm of flesh speaking. That's the wisdom of man speaking. That's not the voice of the Lord. So about 3,000 men went up there from the people, but they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai struck down about 36 men, for they chased them before the gate as far as Sherebim. And struck them down on the descent, for their hearts of the people melted and they became like water. We have here a picture of what we would call walking in the flesh, not in the spirit. They were walking by sight and not by the spirit. They were doing what seemed right and natural. They pulled out a military spreadsheet. They probably talked a little bit one with another, more than what is recorded here. Probably a couple of the commanders said, ah, this is an easy one. But they didn't do the one thing that they should have done, which was to seek the Lord. Family of God, in the kingdom of God, in our kingdom living while we're here on this earth, awaiting the Lord to come get us or us going to Him, He needs to be... The first one we seek, not the last one we seek. We need to be praying first, acting second. We need to be praying first, doing second. We need to be seeking Him before we go do anything, including things that look easy. This looked easy. looked like a sure victory. And it ended up being an overwhelming defeat. You see, self-confidence... Overconfidence. Trusting in anything other than the Lord. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. And lean not on your own understanding, but in all of your ways. Acknowledge, and He will 
There you go. Did they do that? No. They took the arm of flesh, the word of a few spies, and said, eh, we'll take care of this. Don't do that. It's a recipe for disaster. Since Ai was a smaller city than Jericho, basically they see this is inevitable. We got this. Spies, we find them saying nothing about the Lord. In, in your Bibles, and they didn't have this, but James wrote in James chapter 4, there's a little interesting interplay there. Uh, well, let's rather not say we're going to go to this city or that city and buy and sell, but rather let us say, if the Lord wills. They weren't even considering that. Pride is a destroyer of lives. The moment I think I've got it, the moment I find out I don't got it. That's what usually happens. And I can tell you, as I've gotten older and walked longer with the Lord, this principle applies to absolutely every decision you'll ever make. From the most complex to the most idiotically simple. I know it sounds weird, but I mean, I pray about, should we go to this restaurant or that restaurant? As we're driving down the road, I pray about which off-ramp I should take. I mean, I'm, it's crazy. And just so you know, I don't close my eyes, get on my knees in the floor of my car, and, Lord, which off-ramp should I take right now? No, I just offer up before the Lord, like, Lord, I, you know, is this one crowded? Is that one crowded? Is there people? Because Connie can tell you, I, I don't like, you know, sitting in traffic. So I'm figuring if the Lord can get me off the freeway quicker, amen. And here's why. Because then my blood pressure goes up and I start acting a little snippy. and It affects everything. You don't think about it until it's too late. And all of a sudden you've turned into some not-so-nice person. All because you didn't pray. All because you didn't say, you know, Lord, which lane should I be in? Anybody ever been caught in the wrong lane on the freeway and had to drive like five miles past where you wanted to go? That's the deal. Simple things. I got this. I've been driving since I was 15 and a half years old. I know Southern California like back of my head. Wasn't that our off-ramp? Well, there's 116 lanes over there. You see, what Israel needed was confidence in God, not self-confidence. Moses had warned them. Matter of fact, Deuteronomy chapter 32 says that one Jewish soldier could chase a thousand. Two could chase ten thousand to flight. So, theoretically, if they'd been walking with the Lord, they could have sent three guys up there and one in the Lord. Three guys! They took a lot more than that and got stomped because they were in the flesh. Your iniquities, as Isaiah 59.2 says, have separated you. Your sins have hidden His face. God's not listening. Notice the outfall. There are several things in these center verses. Number one, let me give you a recipe for discouraging leadership, myself included. Go out in the flesh. And this, this, is, this means no disrespect to anyone sitting here. But your problems become my problems. Your pain becomes my pain. Your family's pain becomes my pain. Your family's problems become my problems. Why am I telling you that? That's how it all works. When I signed up to be a pastor, when I said yes to God, I said yes to God. And so in saying yes to God, that means I get to do what pastors do, which is to clean up the messes. Not, not do them myself, but be used of Him. That means I've got to sit through all the agony. It's hard. And it's very discouraging. It's not what I want for you. It's not what God wants for you. 
It wasn't what Joshua wanted for the children of Israel. But they went out in the flesh. Joshua had a part to blame in it. And like Joshua, whenever something happens in this church, buck stops on my desk. Somebody's got a problem with this church. Ultimately, it's my problem. People in the community don't call you. They call me. They don't call your kids. They call me. They want to know what kind of rotten, heathen people I have at church. I have to tell them, well, I don't think that's the case, but I do know they're sinners. Well, praise God they're saved by grace. They don't usually like hearing that. They usually want to hear that I'm going to grill you somehow. Bring you before the church on a Sunday morning and excommunicate you or something. Which isn't going to happen, by the way. But leadership can be very discouraging. And Joshua tore his clothes, verse 6 says, and he fell on the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until evening. And he and the elders of all of Israel, they put dust on their heads. This is a broken man. It hurts to be in leadership. Frankly, frequently and often. I would say rarely does a week go by that I don't have something that puts me on my knees in my office over somebody in this church. And that's no credit to me. That's the way it is. Because when we choose disobedience, God's going to send somebody along in some form of leadership that's going to have to deal with that problem. To help you, to help the body, to be a mouthpiece for the Lord. And in this case, it was Joshua. You all can see this in your own families. You know, we'd like to think that our kids are perfect. But every once in a while, probably those of you with children have gotten that phone call from the school. You need to come down here. And the first thing that darts through your head, I didn't raise them that way. Sometimes they're little things. Sometimes they're huge things. In my case, the worst thing I think's ever happened with our boys is Brandon was kind of famous for taking pocket knives to school because he has a hundred of them. And they were normally in his pocket. But about the third time, Mr. Leonard was kind of upset. Like, can't you tell him to not bring pocket knives? Yeah, tell him to not bring pocket knives as good. He still brings pocket knives to school. Well, that's because he's the guilt. We don't go anywhere without pocket knives. You can't bring them to school. You're stuck trying to make some form of an excuse for why things are the way they are. And at the end, all you can do is go, I'm so sorry. And then the best knife he had gets confiscated to the end of the school year. You see, sin always has a, a price. There's, there's consequences to our actions. In this case, there was some remorse. Hearts of the Canaanites melted. The Jewish people uh, behaved uh, in great distress. And so it looks like Joshua got it. Uh, but I don't think Joshua had humbled himself before the battle, so he's remorseful in the battle. If you humble yourself, you're going to find that you're going to have a lot less regret and remorse in your life. A second thing, look at the reproach. Verse 7, And Joshua said, Alas, Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all? He's, he's starting to think, Man, why are we here? What good are we? I mean, we, we go through one victory, and the next two days later we've got a defeat. Why would you bring this out? I'm going to give you a little secret here. I think he was kind of whining to God, actually. I've been guilty of whining to God occasionally in my time in ministry. It's like, Lord, these people you gave me. It'd be better if we died in the wilderness. I've thought those things. I don't say them quite as often as I used to. 
But I've had those thoughts. To deliver us into the hand of the Amorites. Now, I want you to notice something. That is flat out not true, is it? God had not delivered them to to be then thrust into the arms of the Amorites. God had delivered them to live victoriously in Canaan. It was sin that had done this to How quickly we can begin to blame God for our own sinful actions. Our big thing today is, well, I'm genetically disposed to that sin. I've got the this gene or that gene that just keeps me from being able to do what God's Word says. When we say those kind of things, we're telling God He's a liar, basically. I don't believe there's anything on this earth that any human being is genetically disposed to that is a sinful activity that you cannot overcome in Christ Jesus. If God could create the universe out of nothing, I'm pretty sure he can give you a victory over alcohol or drugs or some form of what we would call addictive behavior. We blame God. Well, if I'd been born to different parents, if I'd been born in a different neighborhood, if I'd been raised this way or that way, if I had more Opportunity, that's a big word, buzzword today. If I had more opportunity, then I wouldn't be like this. It's about what we make out of the opportunities we do have, not the ones that we didn't get. Oh, that we had been content and dwelt on the other side of the Jordan. Oh, Lord, what shall I say when Israel turns its back before its enemies? You sent me here with a bunch of lousy, yellow-bellied chickens. When you walk by faith, you can claim what God has for you. But if you walk in the flesh, you're going to be forced to settle for something that God doesn't want. It's that simple. It's not complex. The reproach was on all of them, including Joshua. God sometimes permits these humiliating things in the lives of people who are otherwise walking with the Lord. I can't even tell you how much this applies in marriage. Where there's one one or the other of the two spouses that's engaged in some sinful behavior and the other spouse has to go to the valley because of the one sinning spouse. Humiliation, pain, suffering, sorrow, reproach. We don't always know, and we won't always know, what the condition of that other person's heart is. That's why it's so important that we live by the Word of God and do what God's Word says. We have our best opportunity to do well when we do that. But we allow compromise. We ourselves turn to the arm of flesh. We embolden other people to walk in the flesh. It's that simple. Notice the repentance here. Verse 9, for the Canaanites and all of the inhabitants of the land will hear it. He's saying, look, man, this is terrible. And surround us. And cut off, notice whose name, our name from the earth. Then what will you do for your great name? He's he's saying, look, we've so misrepresented you that it's come back on you. When we sin as believers, it shames God. And it shames His name. It blemishes his character in front of other people. That's why you've heard me say it before. If you're going to drive like an idiot, take your fish off your car. Take your dove off your car. Take your Christian bumper stickers off your car if you're going to drive like a fool. If you're going to be obnoxious in business, take the fish off your business card. 
If you're going to cheat people out of stuff, don't tell them you're a Christian because God gets blamed for your sin. It, I will tell you this, having been in ministry a very long time, in a large percentage of that time, overseeing large construction projects all over the world, I can tell you that the worst treatment that I have ever received in construction industry has 100% of the time been Christians. Oh, yeah, brother, you know, yes, amen, I'll just do this for you, and then they don't show up on the job. And then they lie about it. It's been incredible. Everything that we do in the name of Christ, Christ either gets the glory for or the blame for. One of those two things. Don't forget that. Now, good news is, hopefully you'll just be able to be a rock-solid Christian no matter what you're doing, in season and out. Give glory to the Lord in all that you do, in your business life, in your professional life, in your home life, in your school life, in whatever life you live, going down the middle of the street through Running Springs, you're one of the people that actually is really doing 30 miles an hour through the middle of town. I've started to take some joy driving 35 all the way out the other side of Barrow Bear because it drives the big bear people crazy. I'm just, I'm just like... My brother Rick wants to sin while he's driving. <laughs> Not me. You know what I'm saying. God's going to get the glory for it. Because you know what? A lot of people know who I am. I can't be blasting through town at 55 miles an hour. Oh, Earl's pastor, yeah. <laughs> it's an embarrassment to God. I don't want him to get embarrassed because of the way I drive. A nation needed to be sanctified. And so they get rebuked in all of this. And, you know, getting rebuked is not a fun thing. And so the Lord says in verse 10 to Joshua, Get up. Why do you lie thus on your face? Israel has sinned. They transgressed my covenant, which I commanded for them. For they have taken some of the accursed things. They have both stolen and deceived They've also put it among their own stuff. And therefore the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies, but turned their backs before their enemies because they have been doomed to destruction. Neither will I be with you anymore unless you destroy the accursed from among you. Ouch. Pretty harsh. It's also completely true. Sin in the camp does that. Sin in the camp does that. It's damaging to the ministry. It's damaging to the people. Not good. Get up and sanctify the people and say, Sanctify yourselves for tomorrow, because thus says the Lord God of Israel, There is an accursed thing in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the accursed thing from among you. And in the morning, therefore, you should be brought according to your tribes. This is a whole bunch of people, by the way. Probably at least a few hundred thousand of them, if not a million or more. In the morning, therefore, you should be brought according to your tribes. And it shall be that the tribe which the Lord takes shall come according to the families. And the family which the Lord takes shall come by households. And the household by which the Lord takes shall come man by man, and then it shall be that he who is taken with the accursed things shall be burned with fire. All he has, because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord, and because he has done this disgraceful thing in Israel, sin has consequences. Sin always has consequences. Sometimes those consequences, by His grace, are very, very, very minimal. 
Sometimes God doesn't even choose to address things in our lives, but rather allows the Spirit to work in us, and He just simply washes over it with His great love, wherein He has loved us. But let me give you a little secret to effective life as a Christian. Don't start guessing between those two places. Do not say in your heart, well, he let me get away with this, so naturally I can get away with that. He didn't get me for this thing, so he surely won't get me for that thing. Because you may be the one getting burned. And of course, in this time, different dispensation, God's dealing with them according to the law. Don't forget that. You've been saved by grace and through faith. And anything that you have done can be repented of, forgiven, and forgotten by God. But you may still be stuck with the consequences, which may still be the burning. How many marriages have been burned to the ground? How many people ended up pushing a shopping cart on Tippecanoe because they refused to give up drugs? How many people have crashed their cars, killed somebody, and ended up in jail because they wouldn't get their head out of a bottle and they knew better. Christians. You see, God can forgive and you can still pay a heavy, heavy, heavy price for sin. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. And if you'll notice the repetition here of the word accursed, it's pretty powerful in the way that it's used. He uses accursed, disgraceful, doomed. Those are not good things. When God says of you that you're accursed, you're going to be destroyed, and you're doomed, you do not want to hear those things. And so he sets up a process whereby this is going to happen. And it's interesting the way it happens. We're not told exactly how they do the selection process, but I will tell you this. What they did was sin. And all that word means in your Bible is to miss the mark. God had told them what the mark is, and they did exactly the opposite. That's sinning. In your, in your English translated Bible, the word sin is an old English term. It's actually an archery term. It means to not hit the bullseye. So you can do that intentionally. You can do that unintentionally at times. You can simply know what to do and not do it. Or you can actively seek to do what you know is wrong. The difference between omission and commission. I can simply omit to do what is right, or I can actually commit to do what is wrong. Both are missing the mark. The sin involved basically two very simple things. Stealing from God and lying to God. Now, does anybody see something kind of fundamentally flawed about lying to God? Anybody see anything fundamentally flawed about lying to God? Does it ever work? Never. He knows our hearts. He knows our minds. He knows your thoughts. He knows what you're going to think before you think. He knows why you think it. He created the brain that you think with. So when we lie, God's not buying it. What we're really trying to do is convince other people that somehow we're not wrong. That is how the devil started his ministry. I'll be like the Most High. I'll exalt my throne above the heavens. Lying to the angels in heaven about who he was and what he could do. Not a good thing. Achan had done a very foolish thing. And basically the tribes could never claim their inheritance as long as one man was clinging to the forbidden treasure because he treated them like one family. So what you have here is a very poignant picture of actually how God does only punish the person who's guilty. Because exactly as your Bible says in Numbers chapter 32, know this, beware, Moses said, 
This thing you do, you have sinned against the Lord. Beware, for your sins will find you out. Whether God does it, whether they're exposed by some other person, God loves you too much to let you wallow in sin. He's going to expose it. Numbers chapter 32, verse 23 says that. You can't hide yourself. It goes on to say, Jeremiah writes, remember there in chapter 17, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, and who can know it? He answers his own question in that same chapter, by the way, for it says, I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins. I give to every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his own doings. So Achan and his family are going to pay the price. But in the meantime, the whole body suffered for his sin. Perhaps the high priest, if you remember back in our study in the book of Ezekiel on the garment of the high priest, there in the breastplate there were twelve stones. Those twelve stones represented the children of Israel, all twelve tribes. And a way that that would normally happen that the priest would raise his hand to the Lord, he would go into a deep time of meditative prayer, and he would simply ask the Lord which tribe, and that's likely what he did. And then he would simply touch the stones on his, on his breastplate, and where his middle finger landed was the tribe that was in question. And so it's likely they did that. And so here comes all these tribes, the Zerites, Zabdi, all these people, the culprit himself, Achan and his family, all line up. The eyes of the Lord are on our ways, it says in Jeremiah chapter 16. Their ways are not hidden from me, nor is their sin concealed from my eyes. You see, they should have known what was coming. Now notice verse 19, the confession. You see, this is the important part. Because God has to judge sin. He has no choice. Verse 19, it says, And now Joshua said to Achan, My son, I beg you, give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel, and make confession to him, and tell me now what you have done, and do not hide it from me. And Achan answered and said to Joshua, and this, this for anyone who's in rampant rebellion, ought to scare the living tar out of you. And I don't know if tar can be alive. It's an inanimate substance made out of oil that it should scare you because he's going to confess and still pay a huge price his life his family's life indeed I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel and this is what I have done he's complete absolutely honest at this point but he was forced into doing it so it's a rather disingenuous confession, albeit completely true at this point in time. When I saw among the spoils a beautiful Babylonian garment, 200 shekels of silver, a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and took them. And there they are, hidden in the earth in the midst of my tent with the silver under it. And Joshua sent messengers and they ran into the tent and there it was hidden in his tent and the silver under it. And they took them from the midst of the tent and brought them to Joshua, all the children of Israel, and laid them out before the Lord. Sin has its consequences. And they were going to pay a huge price. I have sinned is found seven additional times in your Bible in the Old Testament. Pharaoh, Balaam, King Saul, David, Shimei, and then into the New Testament, Judas and the prodigal son. Now when you think about all those people, and you probably know most of their stories, every one of them paid a very heavy price for their sin. Even though David, you'll see in heaven, the rest of them, not so much. Another truth here. That's why you don't want to be engaged in sin. 
Because some people can be so self-deceived to think that they're walking in grace while they're sinning. And you're not walking in grace at all. Because the grace of God has never transformed you. It's never caused you to flee sin, never caused you to hate sin. That's why when I say you, you, you have to be at least someone who struggles with sin, you can't be someone who says, I don't care what God's Word says about some particular sin and just bathe yourself in it and claim the grace of God. Your Bible doesn't support that. You, you don't know where that line is, so you should not try and find out. The stolen goods were spread out before the Lord. And then the sin is judged. And notice how this all ends. And then Joshua and all of Israel took him, took Achan, the son of Zerah, the silver, the garment, the wedge of gold, all of his sons, his daughter, his oxen, his donkeys, his sheep, his tent, and all that they had and brought them to the valley of Achor. This is called dealing decisively with sin. This is not playing with sin. This is taking absolutely not the slightest chance that there's going to be a remnant of sin left in the camp. Is it, is it strong? Absolutely. But God hates sin. He doesn't kind of sort of dislike sin. He, he doesn't say that he hates sin because he really likes it, but he just doesn't want you to have any fun. He actually hates sin because it destroys lives. And so they're going to deal decisively into the valley of Achor, the valley of trouble. And Joshua said, why have you troubled us? The Lord will trouble you this day. So all of Israel stoned him with stones and they burned them with fire. And they had then stoned them with the stones after they had stoned him. And they raised over them a great heap of stones still there to this day. And so the Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger. That was it. It was over. If we confess he is faithful and just to forgive, to cleanse us. They had done what God asked. The sin was dealt with. But it was very costly to the sinner. And therefore, the name of that place has been called the Valley of Achor to this day. You just simply don't want to go there. God longs to bless us, but God is also light. You can't have darkness and light at the same time. If you got darkness, it's because there's an absence of light. Do you get the picture? If you have darkness in your life, it's because you are shielding some area of your life from the light of the Lord. That's the only way there can be darkness. If you are open, if you are honest, if you are exposed, then the light of the Lord will shine on that area, and you will repent. You will give it up. You will stop. You will hear the word of the Lord and yield to his authority in your life. They did not do that. They had tried to hide from the Lord, and so it cost them. God has to judge us. He can either judge us in Christ by grace, or He can judge us by our own flesh, by our own abilities, and then He will have to pronounce the the judgment upon us that is due for what we've done. The good news, when we surrender to the Lord, no defeat is permanent. No mistake is beyond God's remedy. Amen? If you walk with the Lord for any length of time, you know that He can fix anything. But He doesn't want to have to be actively engaged in fixing stuff in our lives every day. That's not supposed to be the way we live. It's supposed to be a once in a while deal, not an every moment of every day correction process. It's not supposed to be a lifestyle that we live, that God has to just do miraculous things to keep us from being stoned. Amen? You get the picture. The valley of trouble can become the door of hope. The Jews one day will go into that same valley, by the way, and it will be there that they will commit themselves unto the Lord. 
And so it will be there that is now the Valley of Achor will become the door of hope to the Jewish people as they find Messiah, as they come to know their King. And I pray that for us, we don't go collecting stuff we shouldn't have. That we don't have to be sought out and rebuked. That these things that happened to Achan never happened to any of us. That we'll be so yielded to the Spirit, so walking in the Spirit, that our lives will be free largely from anything that's displeasing to God. So that we can walk in that hope every day. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank You for this time this evening in Your Word. And Lord, a, a somber warning. God, but also a beautiful truth that the way to avoid all of this scary stuff is to just simply do what your word says, to walk in the Spirit, to not sin against you. Lord, to experience the fullness of your blessings and your grace. Lord, we want to walk in hope and in newness of life. And so, Lord, we just give you this evening what remains of it, and as we Put our heads down on our pillows later. We pray that you would just fill our hearts and our minds with your love, with your goodness. Lord, help us to desire to be well-pleasing to you in all that we do and say. We ask these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.